All right, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to bring our sermon series on the I Am sayings in the Gospel of John to a close this morning, looking at John 15 verses 1 through 17. It's on page 1147 if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. And if you are a child who's tracking the word of the day, it's fruit. John 15, 1 through 17, hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its power in our lives. Thank you for the way that you reveal yourself in and through your word by the work of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we uh, are thankful for these weeks that we have spent looking at Jesus's I am sayings in the gospel of John. And now as we look at this final one this morning, we just pray that you will use what we see here to magnify your glory, the glory of your son, the glory of your spirit, uh, that you would help us to grow as disciples of Christ and equip us to make more disciples of Christ. And we ask that you would use this time to equip us and encourage us and excite us about taking the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There was a a study 
Dunn in a medical journal recently published a list of the top six fears that people who are dying tend to have. Top six fears of people who are dying. And, you know, there, a couple of them are what you would expect that uh, they're afraid that they'll die in a painful way or that they don't know what's going to happen after they die. But interestingly, one of the top six reasons or top six things that people fear as they know they're going to die is that their life has been meaningless. That they didn't accomplish something they were supposed to accomplish or fulfill some sort of purpose that they were supposed to fulfill. That's interesting. You know, we've been looking at these different sayings of Jesus where he says, I am something. And, and as we believe those things, uh, they're so life-changing. And now we get to this final one, this final I am saying, which he says uh, just a matter of hours before he'll be betrayed by Judas and then taken away by the Roman guard to be executed. And he says, I am the true vine. What does that mean? Part of, part of understanding what that means is to recognize that in the Old Testament, the metaphor of a vine was used, uh, but it was used to talk about God's people. It was, used, it was used to talk about the nation of Israel. So, for example, in Psalm 80, verse 8, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. Okay, so you see that metaphor of God's people being a vine. But it was a vine that was not fruitful, it was not bearing Good fruit, it was only bearing bad fruit. We see that in Isaiah chapter 5. He speaks about how God had done everything that would need to be done for the vine to be very fruitful, yet it continued to bear only wild grapes. And so there's this imagery of God's people as a vine. They just were not fruitful. They were not fulfilling the purpose that God had for them. They weren't taking the, the, the news of God's grace and goodness to the nations. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, taking the news of his salvation to the ends of the earth. But they were not fulfilling their purpose. Ah, and now here Jesus is with his disciples shortly before he's going to die for them and for you and I who believe. And he says to them, I am the true vine. And what he's saying is that it is he who will ensure that the purpose for God's people is fulfilled. He is the true vine that will ensure that God's people fulfill their purposes in the earth and bring the news of his glory all over the world. He is the true vine, the true source of fruitfulness for the people of God. And so that's what we want to see here as we bring this sermon series to a close and, and, and look at this amazing thing that Jesus says. That because Jesus is the true vine, if we are united to him by faith, we are guaranteed to bear fruit and fulfill our purpose in life. So we're going to talk about that by talking about union and fruit. And then we'll talk about the types of fruit that we can look for and then how to bear fruit. Okay, union and fruit, types of fruit, how to bear fruit. So look at verses 1 and 2. Look, let's talk about union and fruit. And here's something the Bible just makes so clear and it is this, that true faith unites us to Christ, just in the same way that like a branch is, is united to a vine. Okay? True faith unites us to Christ like a branch to a vine, and the product of union with Christ is noticeable growth in Christ-like character and conduct, much like the noticeable growth on a branch that's connected to the vine is 
the fruit. Okay? That's why we call it fruit. Noticeable growth in our Christ-like character and conduct. That's the fruit that we want to be looking for in our lives. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. So it's so clear here. There's this expectation of fruit. There's this expectation of fruit and fruitfulness in God's people. And what we're recognizing here then is that if there is someone who is calling themselves a Christian, but there is no fruit, there is no growth, then they really are only outwardly connected to Christ. They're only connected in an outward way, like maybe they go to church, or maybe they even say that they're a Christian. But it's really only an outward connection, not an inward connection, not a true union, which makes them kind of like a dead branch that's on a vine. The reason that it's not producing fruit is because it's dead. The reason that it's dead, it's no, it's not drawing nutrients from the vine itself. They don't have that inward connection of real, true saving faith and so uh, jesus talks about his father as the vine dresser removing the dead branches and if you've done any gardening you know that for the health of the living branches you do remove the dead ones and verse six tells us that those branches then are gathered and eventually thrown into the fire and burn which is as uncomfortable as it may be to think about it but is what we would call hell So the imagery is that there are these dead branches that are connected, but only outwardly, and they will eventually be removed. So Andreas Kostenberger says this, some who appear to be members in good standing in the Christian community may eventually turn out to never truly have been part of it in the first place, Judas being the paradigmatic example. So this is partially, I think, why Jesus is saying this right now is so that the disciples understand What's going on when they see Judas, who was one of them, who was serving with them for a while, standing there betraying Jesus with a kiss. And we see this picture then is that what's happening is God was removing Judas because he was a dead branch. He was not bearing any fruit. And he's also showing us that how, you know, how do you identify a living or dead branch as you look for fruit? And the, the thing is, like, we can't see faith. You can't see someone's faith. You can't see, you know, see with your eyes if somebody is actually united to Christ. You can't see that, but you can see the effect of union with Christ. You can see it just like you can see fruit on a tree. Think about in, in, in uh, John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, and he compares the Holy Spirit to the wind, and basically saying that you can't see it, you can hear it, and you can, you can see its effects. And that's how we should understand our uni- union with Christ. If we are united to Christ, you can't see it, but you can see its effects, just like you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. There's a palm tree. If I said, hey, look outside, it is so windy. You would look over and see that palm tree and not one frond is moving and you would say, no, it is not windy. You would disagree with me. And the bottom line is when 
when there is no fruit, when there's no growth in the life of somebody who claims to be a believer, it is because there is no true union. They do not really have faith. In the same way that we can see the effects of wind, even though we can't see wind, we can see the effect of being united to Christ, and that is fruit, through the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be united to Christ without the Holy Spirit being inside you, and you can't have the Holy Spirit inside you unless you are experiencing growth and fruit. So I think, how do you, how do you apply this? And I think this is where things can get a little challenging if they weren't already. This means, I mean, it's really important that we look for fruit in our lives and in the lives of anybody who claims to be a believer, right? That we would look for fruit in our lives. Do we see evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit? Do we see the product of our faith, our union with Christ? Do we see that in people in our life group and other people at church? Are we seeing fruit? Do we see it in our children? Are we looking for fruit in our children? That they're beginning more and more to understand the gospel. And then living for the glory of God. Even in our leadership, one of the things that we uh, as elders do when we have our meetings, the elders, the leadership of the church, we uh, spend some time in groups of three where we're talking to one another about how we're doing. We're talking about things that we're repenting of. We talk about things that God is doing in our lives so that we, we know that the leaders of the church are bearing fruit. We see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the leaders. And that, that's something that we want to be widespread, that we would look for fruit in the lives of one another. And here's, here's where that gets challenging. See, in a church where there's a real emphasis on grace, sometimes if we're looking for fruit, if we're expressing some concern about somebody, the whole conversation gets shut down by that person saying, well, you're just a legalist. Brothers and sisters, one of the most gracious things that we can do is look for fruit and show concern about somebody's salvation if there's no movement, if there's no growth, if there's no fruit in their lives. Now, there's right ways to do it and there's wrong ways to do it, right? Here's the wrong way to look for fruit in somebody and, and do some investigation if you're concerned about whether they're saved. Here's the wrong way. Self-righteously, self-righteously just saying, you're not a Christian. Let's just not do that here, okay? But the right way is to think about it. What, what does a Christian do? Respond to the gospel. So I think that when you, if you identify somebody in your family or in your life group or in the church and you're worried about whether or not there's real fruit there, then talk to them about the gospel. And as you talk about the gospel, talk about different things that the gospel calls us forward to do. And then see what happens. See if there's a response there. If there's a continued non-response, then at some point I think we share with them that we're deeply concerned about where they're at with the Lord, no matter what they call us. We need to love each other enough to know that Jesus is very clear here. If there is no fruit, there's a real problem. Okay? So, so, so we want to love each other enough to look for that, call each other forward in that. What do we want to look for, though? Look at 9 through 17. I want to talk about uh, the different types of fruit. This is not an exhaustive list. The scriptures talk about a lot of things uh, that, that would manifest itself as fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is coming from our union with Christ. Um, but I want to look at some of these things, some different ways that our union with Christ produces fruit or spiritual growth in our lives. Uh, and, and remember that if there is fruit, 
then there is the work of the Holy Spirit. There is real union. Okay. Um, one of the things that we see in verse 9 is that, that we should be and other people should be experiencing the love of God. Look at verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so here's this picture right here where Jesus is saying to remain in his love, to, to feel his love, that we should know the love of the Father, ultimately through the good news of the gospel. That we should feel loved by the Father. And anytime we really think about the gospel, that because of what Jesus has done, we are declared righteous, we are forgiven of all of our sins, that should help us to remember, oh yes, the cross is the proof. The Father loves me. Jesus loves me. So we should be feeling that love. Now, what happens when you feel the love of God? What does that tend to lead to? Oh, look at verse 10. Obedience. Isn't this amazing? Obedience. Look what he says. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And so there's this clear picture that if we really have faith in Christ, there there will be efforts to obey. Now, I'm not talking perfect obedience. Nobody becomes perfect in this life. But I am talking about grace-driven, Holy Spirit-powered efforts to obey God's law. Now, let me make certain we understand something. In, in, in the beginning of the verse 10 there, he's saying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He is not saying that if you obey, then I will love you. Okay? It doesn't make sense that that would be conditional. If we look back at verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The love for the Father is not conditional for the Son. Right? And so what he's saying is not that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, meaning if you do this, then I'll love you. It's really more that we will experience it. Not that we would earn God's love through our obedience, but we would experience it. We actually experience the love of God as we strive to obey. In part because when we fail, we're reminded of the sufficiency of the cross, but also because we do grow. And when we grow, it's an incredible feeling. Because we realize that God is giving us a gift as he's calling us to holiness. Think about, like, uh, I used to know this guy named Randy back when I lived in upstate New York. And Randy grew up, and his parents, when he was growing up, his parents just demanded that he play the piano and practice the piano all the time. And he hated it. But they kept saying, you're going to play the piano. Now, my parents told me that I had to play the piano, but they let me quit in second grade. And when we got to high school, I realized the gift my parents were trying to give me. When we would go into a room, if we were ever in a room where there was people, a piano, and Randy, it's going to be a good time. Okay? Randy could play anything. Man, I mean, it's unbelievable skill. And he would just play all these songs that we all knew the words to. So we'd gather around, and we'd sing, and we'd sway, and it was awesome. It was just fantastic. And... It's at that point that Randy realizes, oh, my parents loved me. They were giving me this fantastic gift of being able to bless people in an amazing way. So our father calls us to obey. He's calling us to obedience, not to earn, but to experience his love, his wisdom, his ways his ways of righteousness in fact what's so powerful is the gospel is the good news not only that we're forgiven of all of our sin through faith but that we're also declared righteous and when he calls us to obedience he's really just saying i want you to feel what it's like 
to actually be what I've declared you to be. I've declared you righteous. I want you to feel what that's like. He calls us forward into obedience. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. Once you understand the doctrine of union with Christ, you see that God doesn't ask us to attain to what we're not. He only calls us to accomplish what already is. The pursuit of holiness is not a quixotic effort to just do what Jesus did. It's the fight to live out the life that has already been made alive in Christ. You've been declared righteous and he says, come be who you are by the power of the Holy Spirit because of his grace. Okay, so there's obedience. Now, here's what's so sweet. And everyone who knows, everyone who's had a grace driven, Holy Spirit powered effort to grow in an area, to, to become more obedient in an area. When you get there, there's this weird thing that happens in your heart. Oh, it's in verse 11. Joy. This is another fruit that we want to see in the life of a believer. If somebody's growing, man, there is joy. Right? Not pride, because they didn't get themselves there. Joy, because God got them there. Look at this, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. His joy of obeying the Father may be in us. And he wants that in us so that our joy may be full. See, it's just amazing. And as, as, as he's calling us to obedience, the reason he wants to see that fruit is because we will know joy then. We will know his joy of living in line with the will of the Father. Now, as you are experiencing joy over that, it's got to overflow somewhere, right? It's got to go somewhere. Where can it go? Oh, other believers, 12 and 13, right? Love for fellow believers. That's another fruit that we would love one another. Here's what Jesus says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so he calls us to love one another. We're just basically allowing that joy over his work in our lives to spill out onto those around us. Love one another. And then he points to the cross. He hasn't gone to the cross at this point, but he's going to the cross. So he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends so that we see that the pinnacle, the ultimate picture of love is the cross. And then we can know that in Christ, we can live in a way where we sacrificially love for our brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's been done for us in Christ. And so there's that that love that should be growing, a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 14 and 15 talk about, I think, a growing understanding of God's plan, what's happening in the world. Look at this. 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Really quick there. Again, I don't think this is as conditional as we want it to be. I don't think it's conditional. I think it's, it's revealing. He's saying, if you're doing what I say, that shows that you are my friend. You are one of the people I have died for. Okay. But now 15, here's what he says. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. So what is he saying? He's talking about, we, we know more and more about what God is actually doing in the world. He's let us in on the plan. Listen to this. D.A. Carson says, an absolute potentate. How great a word is potentate? Okay. I had to look it up too. It means king or monarch. Okay. He says, an absolute potentate demands 
obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what to do while his friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of the master's heart. How sweet is that? That we, we understand the plan. That we don't have to just simply obey to obey. But we actually we understand why we're obeying. That the gospel would advance in our hearts and in the hearts of others. And ultimately for the glory of God. And so as we understand more and more of what God is doing in the world. Then automatically there should be a desire to be involved in the mission. Right? That we would, we would, part of the fruit we would look for is that we're involved in the mission. Look at 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. And so here he's, he's talking about not only should there be fruit growing in us, but growing because of our efforts to advance the gospel. This points to the Great Commission, I believe. That we would make disciples, right? That we would abide and therefore we would bear fruit. And part of that would be that we would reach other people for Christ and they would abide. And as they abide, then they grow. And part of the fruit in their life is that they help other people come to Christ. Disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, etc. Right? It's just amazing. So involvement in the mission. Are we more and more involved in the mission? And so he gives us this picture And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but do we see these things? Someone experiencing God's love, knowing the love of God. Somebody with grace-driven, Holy Spirit-powered efforts to obey. Someone experiencing joy in the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Someone who has a growing love for other believers. An understanding of God's plan and involvement in the mission to make disciples. So, it's possible that you're sitting there thinking, well... I don't see a whole lot of that in my life. Or maybe you see some of it, but you know you'd like more. Well, I have good news. Um, I want to talk about how to bear fruit because Jesus tells us here how to bear fruit. Okay. How to bear fruit. Look at four and five, and then we'll go back to three and then to seven and eight. Okay, just hang with me. We'll get there. Four and five. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides In the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Look, here's the promise. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that word abide, it means to remain or to stay, to continue. And so we abide by continuing to believe the gospel and living in dependence on Christ and on the work of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. That's what abiding ultimately is. It's, it's continuing to believe, to depend on Christ, to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit, and to live for the glory of God. Faith is absolutely key, and faith has to be, we have to believe the gospel, believe the good news. So look at verse 3, which he says at the beginning of this conversation. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And he is using that word clean very intentionally. In fact, there's an interesting play on words with uh, some things he does here, but that would make me nerd out with the Greek and I don't want to do that right now. But just trust me, it's beautiful. But he's, he's getting at the fact that because they have listened to him, because they've heard his voice, they believed what he said, they're already clean. They're already declared righteous. 
They're already forgiven of all their sins because of him, because of what he's going to do when he goes to the cross and lays down his life for his friends. See, our union with him, so to believe in him is to believe that we are united to him. And when you're united to him, what's his is yours and what's yours is his. Just like in marriage. When you are married, the husband owns what the wife owns and she owns what the husband owns because of the union. And because we are united to Christ, we own what he owns. And he owns a death sufficient to pay for sin. And he owns all this righteousness that he lived in his life. And we get both. That's where our forgiveness comes from, from our union with him. Because he died a death to pay for sin and he lived a perfectly righteous life. Both are transferred to us because he has united himself to us. Okay. Now, when you really believe that, when we really believe that he has united to us, us sinners, so that we can have full forgiveness and declared, be declared perfectly righteous, then you begin to want to bear fruit, right? You want to bear fruit, but you want to bear fruit for the right reasons. And the right reasons are in verse 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I mean, it's so wonderful, so clear. It's, it's just showing us that as we really believe the gospel, then what we really want is for God to be glorified. And proof that we really are his disciples. But primarily, the number one thing we want is the glory of God to be demonstrated in my life. That there would be fruit so that the world can see the love and compassion and glory of the Father. And also that we would have the proof that we are his disciples. Now, two, two ways, um, how to, two, two practical things right now because fruit takes, a t- takes some time. Okay, so if you're realizing you want to see more fruit in your life or you want to see any, you know, wherever you're at, uh, it takes time. So what are some things we can think about right now? And I want, I, as, I, as I prayed through this, it's, it's really amazing. There's, there's, uh, there's some things here that can show us now if we are united to Christ. If there's a willingness, two things, a willingness to be pruned in order that you bear fruit and a determination to pray for fruit until you get it. Take a look. Verse 2, he says, Every branch that does bear fruit, so is alive, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You know what that says? What that tells us is if we are a believer, when we go through really difficult times, it's not punishment for our sin. Jesus says next, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. When we go through really difficult things, that is God the Father, the vine dresser, pruning, cutting back the things in us that are not like the vine. And it hurts. But when we want God to be glorified through our life, we are willing to be pruned. We are willing to struggle through whatever it takes so that more and more my life bears fruit that reveals the glory of God to people. And I want to tell you something. I wish we could talk all day about this. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations I've ever heard from a pastor. He said, look, the vine dresser is never closer to the branch than when he's pruning. But if you have a long, if, you're, if, you're, if you say, God, bring whatever it takes that I bear fruit for your glory and the proof that I am a disciple of Jesus, that is an absolutely clear sign. That only comes from union. 
right? And then the other thing is prayer. Look at in, in verse 7, and he says something similar in 16. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I want to clarify here. I don't think he's saying ask for anything. I don't think he's saying believe in me and ask for a car and you get a car, right? God is not Oprah. What in the context of what he's talking about? Look what he's talking about and look at the clarification we see in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see what he's saying? He's saying that we should, if we don't see fruit, if we want to see more fruit in our lives in one of these areas, we should ask for it. If we ask for fruit, he will give us that fruit because he wants the fruit. Because it glorifies the Father and it helps us know we really are His disciples. So if you don't experience God's love, pray for it. Get on your knees and pray for it. Have other people praying for it and for you. If you struggle with obedience, grace-driven, Holy Spirit-powered obedience, pray for it. Plead with Him for it. He says He'll give it to you. If you struggle with loving other believers, pray for that. Make it your prayer until it happens. If you don't really have an understanding of God's plan for the world, pray until you have it. If you're not really involved in the mission and more and more people becoming disciples and disciple makers, pray, 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 pray. Ask him. You know what's amazing is the ultimate picture of abiding is complete dependence, right? That branch is completely dependent on the vine. And the absolute most clear display of dependence is prayer. Because in prayer, we're simply repeating Jesus' words back to him. We are saying, apart from you, I can do nothing. And so we pray and wait. And in time, we see the fruit. I wish he said, I'll give you the fruit tomorrow. He doesn't say that. But he does say, we'll get it. So if you have a willingness to be pruned, God, do whatever you got to do so that my life brings glory to your name and, and, and proves the fruit proves that I belong to Jesus, that is a clear sign that you are united to Christ. It just doesn't happen without union. And if you are willing to pray daily, yearly, whatever it takes, until you begin to see more and more of that fruit, I think that's really good news because I think the only reason you would be willing to do those two things is because you are united to Christ. And therefore, you will fulfill the purposes that he has for you in this life let's pray oh father would you make us willing to be pruned and willing to pray to show our dependence upon you and would you begin uh, a great work in anyone who's here and knows that there's really little or no fruit in their life would you would you begin to work in them would you lead them to repentance through your kindness and give them a new beginning. Lord, for those of us who uh, uh, have seen fruit before, but maybe not in a while, would you help us to submit ourselves to your pruning and also just to pray and plead with you that you would give it, and then would you fulfill your promise and give it? And for those who feel that they are very fruitful right now, would you help us to see that it is because of your grace, it is apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So it's all your glory. It's just, it's you, it's all you. And help us to continue to worship you with incredible thankfulness as our fruit glorifies you and proves we are united to Christ. Let's pray. Amen.